Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Steven Means, it's Nathan Baird, it's Andrew Gillis, and it's Wide Receiver Day, which is my favorite day in the world because we get to talk about the Maybe well, that's a that's maybe a question. What's the more prominent position at Ohio State right now? Wide receiver, or quarterback. One word answer from both of you. Quarterback. Okay. Andrew, what's the most? Say that one more time. What's the most? What's the most prominent position? Quarterback or wide receiver? Wide receivers too. So wide receiver. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what you want me to do there. Wide out. There we go. <laughs> That's true. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> One or two word answer. No, I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> so we're not going to spend a bunch of time on this pod talking about Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Ibuka because they're going to be good and everybody knows mm-hmm. it. And I think the more interesting thing here, we would have to talk to him first about the slot stuff and whether or not they would use him. And we'll we'll be talking to wide receivers we're recording this in, on Tuesday afternoon. We haven't talked to wide receivers yet. We'll be talking to him this evening. So I don't want to have some deep dive football conversation about something that may or may not be a thing because that's one thing i like about marvin he'll tell you if something isn't a thing like when everybody tried to make him being a punt returner in the spring a thing and he said it's not a thing it's just everybody else who really typically does it is hurt so here i am doing it but it's not a thing nathan i want to have a conversation about something that has not been part of the flow here really even for a room that's recruiting at such a high level, which is this wide receiver room, top-tier talent does not come in here and have a role. It's turned into a room where someone as good as Marvin Harrison Jr., someone as good as Jackson Smith the Jigba, someone as good as Emeka Buka spends their freshman year watching from the sidelines. I have the numbers for you. I'm going to start spitting numbers at you guys. I did math here. Who would have thought Steven was most prepared for a wide receivers podcast of the people who are, who were on a first round pick trajectory. That's Chris o, during the Brian Hartline era. That's Chris Olave. That's Garrett Wilson. That's Jackson Smith, the Jigba. That's Marvin Harrison. And that's a Mecca Buka. The only two who played over 200 snaps as freshmen as a receiver. So this isn't including a Mecca Buka's kick return snaps. Garrett Wilson played 457 snaps in 2019 when it was still like a five-man rotation. And then Marvin Harrison Jr. played 255 snaps in 2021. But a lot of that, obviously, as we both know, came in that Rose Bowl where he introduced himself to the world. So I have the averages of snaps per season, and I have 
um, averages of catches, yards, and touchdowns per season. Garrett Wilson is the only one who had any real role during his freshman year. He had 30 catches for 432 yards and two and five touchdowns. The average of those five, though, is 14.4 catches, 201.6 yards, and 2.4 touchdowns. When you hear that number and you put it with what this room is this year, returning all three starters, but what we've been hearing about Carnell Tate heading back into the spring, Brandon Ennis, Ryan Day mentioned that he lost his black stripe on Monday, and he is very quickly acclimated to what's going on here. That's the over-under. Does a Ohio State freshman wide receiver have over that stat line of four, basically 14 catches, 201 yards, and two touchdowns this season? And does a receiver do that? I would I guess I would still have to bet no. I'm still you're, no you're, in a, you're still no? Yeah. Why? Is this, is this a, this is just how it works here? Like the freshmen well, just have to wait a year? Or are you that confident in where Julian Fleming is that he is solely locked in that wide receiver three spot that maybe nobody else can even touch it right now? Well, I think there's a few things at play. It, it's not completely true that top-end talent doesn't have a role because Garrett Wilson did that, as you just said, in 2019. Right. Uh, the problem is there wasn't – he was the top-end talent. Like he, was, right. he came in as the top-end talent, and then the older guys had to like prove to them – prove that they needed to be on the field instead. And that has – that dynamic stopped that year. The next year, it became – now there's just top-end talent across the board, and we've moved on since then into kind of a new era of Ohio State receivers. So – I still would expect, as far as like first string snaps, Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Buka, and Julian Fleming right now, I would predict to dominate those snaps. I think the other factor here is it's not like we didn't hear really good things about Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Ibuka and, and Jackson Smith and Jigba as a true freshman. Like we were hearing good things about all of those players too prior to their true freshman seasons. It didn't result in big workloads for any of those guys either. And you also still have not just Julian Fleming to talk about. You also still have Jaden Ballard and Xavier Johnson to talk about as far as guys. You know, it's one thing to be to recognize the talent and all the good things that these guys are doing. Coaches will, I think, legitimately tell you that those guys are impressing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But who is the first guy that they put into the game when they need a if 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 if, if Julian Fleming um, is taking a series off against Indiana? Is Xavier Johnson playing in his space? Is Jaden Ballard playing in his space? Or has one of those freshmen? It's not just one person they have to jump. As far as seniority and experience and all that, it's like three guys that they have to jump to get those snaps. So I think it might be more likely that because they're so excited about these guys and they're going to get a lot of play with the second string and stuff, maybe multiple guys come close to that sort of workload. But I think it would be hard for me to like mark it down that somebody's going to surpass that sort of production just because that first string is so locked up. No, because if it's a bowl game, if it's not a college football playoff game, then the answer probably is going to be yes. Right. Because okay. well, but, but those stats that you gave, that did include the entirety of seasons, right? It wasn't just regular season production. Right. Yeah. Because the it thing did. that so, I'm yeah. curious about is what happens if – a right. ten and two Ohio State team plays in the Orange Bowl against Florida State, and then all of a sudden Marv says, "Nah, I'm good," and Emeka says, "Nah, I'm good," 
and then all of a sudden your number one receiver is Julian Fleming, and then what? Like, and then your number two is who? I think that that's an interesting because then I mean, if you have a guy who had nine catches for 125 yards or something like that throughout the course of the season, then you go into a, a bowl game and that's much more manageable. Yeah, yeah, I want us I, to live in the world as if they're going to play in a playoff game because I don't want because okay. that's the right. obvious. No, thing I, I hear. Because, yeah, yeah, I hear you. Because because all of those stats are include outside of Marvin and Emeka, uh, Chris Olave. That's the full season they didn't make the playoff game. Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith and Jigba. Smith and Jigba's actually most productive game that year. I know he had the cool catch against Nebraska in the season opener. But his most productive game was actually the Alabama game, the national championship, where he had two catches for 20 yards. And he missed out on what probably would have been his breakout freshman moment because he had COVID for the Big Ten championship game because Chris Olave also had COVID. So Julian Fleming got that breakout game. He ended up having four catches for 53 yards, which turns to be out. That's what Julian Fleming is. He's a guy who's about 10 yards per catch. This is what he does. So I want us to live in a world where they're making the playoff. Okay. So, because I don't want yeah. this to be a conversation of, oh, Carnell and Brandon Ennis got opportunities because the first rounders were gone. I want to have yeah. a conversation of, do we think Carnell Tate, Brandon, Brandon Ennis, Noah Rogers, any of these freshmen at all can maybe start jumping some people as the season progresses that creates a situation where, yes, right now the hierarchy probably is Marvin, Emeka, Julian, Xavier, Jaden Ballard. But do we still think with the way that they've talked about Carnell? Especially Carnell, because Brandon still has some things to catch up on because he just got here in June, technically, even though he was walking around a lot in spring. Carnell has, we've been hearing his name since January. And Nathan, you brought up the point of, yes, we were hearing about Marvin and Emeka as true freshmen, but it's like the top end talent, right? It was three first rounders on the field. I don't think there's three first rounders on the field right now. I think there's two for sure. And then Julian is a, I think he's a quality day two pick. And Xavier Johnson is a great story, but this is still a former walk-on. And Jaden Ballard is all idea right now. He's as, We know about, about as much about Jaden Ballard as a football player in key moments as we do Carnell Tate. So with that scenario, does it open the door for somebody to maybe start to steal snaps from somebody else? I, I mean, it's really a Julian Fleming conversation, right? It's, yes. Isn't this a how yeah. good is Julian Fleming conversation? Yeah. And I was looking at the PFF grades from last year. You know, always the caveat, these are a little bit fuzzy sometimes, but the, in other ways they're not because <laughs> it calibrates itself a little bit. Marvin Harrison Jr. was mm-hmm. the top-ranked receiver in the Big Ten last year in terms of overall grade. Emeka Buka, number three in the Big Ten last year in terms of overall grade, just barely behind Nebraska's Trey Palmer, who I believe is an NFL draft pick. And then you have to go all the way down to 20th to get Julian Fleming. And there's a 15-point gap between him and Emeka Buka in terms of PFF grade last year. Now. So he's a little bit more of a normal good receiver. He hasn't proved mm-hmm. he hasn't played at that elite level yet. Now, he was still banged up last year, came off of, of missing the first two games of the year, which is why Xavier Johnson got to have his moment against Notre Dame in the opener, but also played the whole year. Like he came back and I thought they did some things early on. And and that's the one maybe caveat that needs to be thrown here. I don't know that it's so much that it's someone who has to overtake Julian Fleming. Can you prove that you belong on the field with a first-string offense, and they can use you in place of Julian Fleming one out of every four series to help Mm -hmm. Julian Fleming maximize what he is and get him a full season. That's something he still hasn't experienced at Ohio State, is a full season. It's it's not a criticism of Julian Fleming, because he's someone that I really admire 
from a um, just a work ethic standpoint and a perseverance standpoint. I think he's been through a lot. And I, I, I Iron Buckeye yeah. in twenty twenty two. And I, yeah, I think he's he's and he might have been this year if he wasn't also coming off of yet another procedure in the in the mm-hmm. in the winter. So, you know, kudos to him for fighting to get to this point. I know that he hasn't had the career people expected, but he also had a lot of adversity to overcome to even get to this stage. So, is there more that Julian Fleming can accomplish this year as a maybe the best? most healthy version of himself. I'm sure he will, if I had to predict something we will hear Wednesday night at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center, it'll be Julian Fleming talking about how good he feels. I, I, I mean, just personally for him, I hope that that's true. And I, I think that that is something that I'm, I, I do have on my radar. I think we talked about this in the off season when we were talking about you know what was possible for this offense. And I, I sort of floated that out there that if one of these guys can, develop or if Jaden Ballard again though it's not just the freshman we have to talk about here Jaden Ballard is in that mix Xavier Johnson is in that mix but are you trying to get Julian Fleming rotated out a little bit more often in order to because you have somebody else that is of adequate quality so that you can have him on the field for sure in the best shape possible in November 25th at Michigan possibly the big team championship after that possibly a playoff after that that's something that I think is plausible. But again, I don't, it's hard. I don't know that I can say that I would think that one of these freshmen, as impressive as they've been, is necessarily jumping over everybody. I do think it is interesting that there was a lot of wow factor with the freshmen, and you haven't heard Jaden Ballard's name as much. Mm -hmm. But I think some of that might be people also are like ready to see the freshmen. You know what I'm saying? And, And what actually happens in games. We've only seen a couple practices. That's it's it's not completely fair for us to make a, a an assessment of how good the freshmen have been all camp and how good Jaden Ballard has been all camp and how good Xavier Johnson's been all camp from the two practices that we saw. Yeah, so we can it's, it's word of mouth and the only true freshmen that have constantly been on Day's tongue since they've got here are Luke Montgomery and Carnell Tate and. Luke Montgomery plays offensive line, so it's an interesting thing to see if a true freshman on the offensive line can win a starting job. But listen, Paris Johnson was a top 10 pick, and he didn't do it, right? <laughs> you know, so it, it, it's, a, it's astounding if Luke Montgomery did it, but it's like no one's going to hold him against it if he doesn't. It's the same thing with Carnell Tate, but it does seem like it's more opening. And I'll, I'll remove Brandon Dennis from that because he's a slot guy, and those are Emeka Ibuka snaps until Emeka Ibuka doesn't want him. Or Emeka, maybe they move him around. Maybe Marvin Harrison Jr. takes some of Emeka Buka's slot snaps, so Emeka Buka now takes some outside snaps more often. But I do think that versatility that Emeka Buka came to Ohio State with, mixed with Marvin Harrison Jr. being what he already is, mixed with what he might, may or may not do in the slot this year, opens up some opportunities to test some other stuff out here. Maybe you want to go. Marvin Harrison Jr. in the slot of Mecca Ibuka at Z, where he was repping before Jackson Smith the Jigba got hurt last year. And Carnell Tate, who's been your second backup ex behind Marvin Harrison Jr., that's who you put in the game in those situations. Or maybe, I mean, Xavier Johnson's all-world everything, so you can put him everywhere. But I just think there's more of an opening. And I think the first three weeks of the season where, I mean, Indiana's Indiana. Maybe you don't want to throw a true freshman into that environment if you don't have to. But the next two weeks, there's I don't know how much you need Marvin and Emeka to beat Youngstown State in Western Kentucky. 
So there's those can be because those games were really vital for Garrett Wilson in 2019. That Miami Cincinnati stretch where he was just kind of out there. And he really got to build some momentum there. And then he took that into Nebraska. And then by the end of the season, he's doing what he's doing against Michigan and in the Big Ten championship game and in a college football playoff game. Chris Olave didn't necessarily get that. His buildup was Michigan State, Michigan, Big Ten championship game. But I do think this schedule, because it's like Big Ten opener, but it's against one of the worst teams in the Big Ten. And then two basically preseason games gives you a chance to see what Cardinal Tate can do. And if you like what you see, and it's also translating in practices, if he's going against the ones, maybe you test some stuff out along with just trying to get Julian Fleming to Indy and get him to a playoff game because that's more important than having him be ultra productive in the first three weeks of the season. Yeah, I think, you know, this is a conversation that, you know, we've talked about it a lot with, you know, kind of quarterback and we've talked about it a lot with a couple different things, but I think you know, you kind of hit uh, on a on a recurring theme there. Like first couple of weeks of the year, you're probably fine. You just need to have everybody that you need to win a game ready and rested for Notre Dame. Then you get a bye week, and then you can kind of evaluate where you're at. And, and I know I said that yesterday with quarterback, but yeah, I think you're right. I think you could do that with receiver too. You know, I do you want to play Carnell Tate for two or three games or whoever, and you know, a young guy for two or three games and say like, Hey, he played really well against Western Kentucky. Let's throw him out there against Notre Dame in the biggest game to the, of the season at to that point and say, ah, let's see what he's got. Like, you're not going to do that unless, you know, you are supremely confident that there is not going to be a drop off in play with a freshman there. So yeah, I, I, I think for the first couple of weeks, you mentioned, um, you know, just kind of getting them and getting them involved and seeing what you can do. I think that's a hundred percent right. Because if you get, if you get Marvin and Mecca off their feet, basically, and just be like, all right, guys, you know, relax for two weeks, essentially, you know, make sure you're crisp, make sure you're ready. You're going to play a big game and then you're going to get a bye week. I think that that's kind of the right time to see what you have from the freshmen, because then you're going into the big 10 part of your schedule you're not going to mess around with that. Um, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to start saying, ah, well, we're going to play all these freshmen against, you know, Penn state or whatever for the first time. Like that, that's not a position you want to be in, especially if, I mean, what happens if like Emeka pulls a hamstring against, uh, who do they play? Who do they play week before Penn state? I forget, but week before Penn state, Emeka pulls a hamstring and then all of a sudden you're at like, Purdue. We at Purdue. Right. So Emeka pulls a hamstring at Purdue and you're like, all right, well, now we have a quarter to see what we've got from our reserves. You know, do we play one of the fresh? Like, you don't want to be in that position. You kind of want to know what you have, I think, in the in this first month and, um, you know, kind of see where these guys have to grow. Well, I mean, those guys are, are going to play. Those guys, I think we can right. definitively right now say that these freshmen have probably come in and jumped onto the 2D, right? Um, at least, even though I'm, I'm at least two. Uh, Right, now. right. So, yeah, maybe not all four of them. Although no. we should mention that, like Bryson Rogers and Noah Rogers, yeah. those guys have gotten good. Oh no, no. To I it. was, yeah, I was gonna say right now that in the two deep are probably Carnell and Noah, and then Bryson's probably knocking on the door. Yeah, maybe. Just and it depends on how you it depends on how you put guys too. Like you, you yeah. put Xavier Johnson as the backup slot, but. And Jane Ballard, whatever, we could t- talk ourselves in a circle there. And actually, I'm going to do a depth chart later this week, so maybe I should talk myself into that circle. But um, but I also think that we have to remember that you can go look at the 
total pass attempts thrown by Kyle McCord and Devin Brown last year and see how much they sling it when that second string yeah. comes into the game. Like that doesn't really happen. So a, a lot of games, it's, I think these guys are going to play. I think the more important thing is, you know, we've talked a lot about the, the, like the pressure cooker that Ryan Day has made a little bit with the quarterback room and how you just are pumping guys in every year. And every year there's a, there's a, like top 50 quarterback coming in and, and he's coming for your job and are you holding him off? Or even if you've been here for three years, are you holding off the younger guy, even though it's supposed to be your turn to start? Like what's happening right now? Like it, that's going to keep going on at quarterback, but there's only one quarterback who can play except now, I guess they're going to try to play too. But at receiver <laughs> and Marvin Harrison Jr. was talking about this. I think it was Marvin. that was talking about this at big 10 media day. The common amongst uh, uncommon. I think it must, it must have been him because yeah, because Emeka wasn't there, but I'm pretty sure it was Marvin talking about how um, that, you know, receivers, he sees receivers other places. He sees receivers making the choice to go other places to play early. And mm-hmm. he thinks that's a mistake because he can look at, and his situation is so different. But even if you were a person who weren't, didn't come from means and everything, maybe Mecca Book is a better example of this. Like these guys can come in and see that Garrett Wilson he had a role as a freshman, but he didn't start on day one and wasn't mm-hmm. the primary receiver on that team. That guy's a rookie of the year in the NFL. They can see Chris Olave didn't really break through until the end of his freshman year. They can see yeah. Jackson Smith and Jigba barely played as a freshman and then was the Big Ten all-time record setter as a sophomore. They can see now Marvin and Emeka barely played as freshmen until the end of that season and, and then capitalized on a moment and, and carried it into a sophomore year. They can see that at Ohio State, being behind the scenes is you're not buried. Like you just aren't yet ready to knock off a guy who's going to be a first round pick. Like all those guys I'm talking about, Garrett Wilson, Jackson with the Jigba, Chris Olave, soon to be Harrison and, and Abuka. Like they're all first round picks, all top 20 picks. Like that's and they're they're ready to go do that, and you're just showing up at Ohio State. And I think that's sort of become a selling point. I think that in the past, in another program. For Garrett Wilson, for instance, you had to, you know, probably sell him on the idea that, um, you know, you're going to get an opportunity, but who knows, all that stuff. I think at Ohio State, they probably don't have to sell that very hard because I think you probably come in right away and see, uh, you can do the logic. Sure, you want to play, but you see that, uh, A, there's a reason why I can't, and B, very, very, very soon, it's going to be my turn to do what these guys are doing because the sophomore breakout is happening for all of these receivers that I'm talking about. Yeah, I, I think that's the 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 gonna be the standard trend, right? Is you probably most times your freshman year, you probably don't do much. And Jackson, we don't know how much more he may or may not have been able to do because he also was dealing with a year in COVID. So they didn't even trust Jameson Williams to catch them to do anything that year. They really relied on Garrett and Chris Olave that whole season. Yeah. So like if that's a normal year, how different is the usage for a lot of different guys that season? But to your point, Marvin and Emeka didn't do anything until, you know, the guys opted out and then they broke out of sophomores. The only reason we're not seeing it this year is, well, there's two Jacksons in the Jigmas with Marvin and Emeka, but also we just haven't heard much. Two of the sophomores have transferred and Caleb Brown and Caleb Burton. Um, one is at Iowa and I think Burton is at SMU, if I'm remembering correctly off the top of my head. While Kojo Antwi and Keon Grays are still here, but... It just feels like you got jumped in a room where it's probably very easy to get jumped when you're bringing in top 50 recruits and five stars every year. If you're not on it, 
you might get jumped. Asking can Carnell take play as a true freshman is not going to be the norm every year. What makes it the norm this year is that there are not sophomores in front of him who are ready to be potential All-American, All-Big Ten level players. Another guy's in front of him is a walk-on. Another guy has always been on a different developmental track, and we're not sure if he's hitting it yet. And then the guy who's wide receiver three right now does have an injury history. So maybe that opens the door for a true freshman to do something, just like with Garrett Wilson, where that unique experience is why Garrett played. Freshman Garrett doesn't play in 2020 or 2021 or even 2022. Freshman Garrett doesn't play. But freshman Jackson Smith, the Jigba, freshman Marvin Harrison Jr., freshman Emeka Ibuka probably play in 2019, just like Garrett Wilson did. So that's all. I think there's just like with the quarterback room, how we talked about on the Tuesday pod, how when you recruit the room like that, every so often there's going to be a battle that just takes you to the furthest lengths possible because they're both doing exactly what you thought they were going to do. I think every couple of years, you might just see some true freshmen who the opportunity is so available to them in a way that's not available to other years that it allows them to have some stats, even if they're not doing anything any more special than what Marvin Harrison and Emeka Abuka did in year one. We're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk about an even bigger picture thing that might that is currently lively, potentially going down as we're recording this pod. So we'll explain what that is when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. So we're back on Buckeye Talk, and we're about to make a huge shift. We just spent 25 minutes talking about whether or not freshman wide receivers are going to play or not this season. And while that is the most relevant thing on my mind, that is not the most relevant thing happening in the Ohio State sphere. Nathan. Have you heard of the guy named Walter E. Carter Jr.? And if you have, why is he relevant and why am I bringing his name up? Uh, I had heard of him before today, and then today he became even more relevant because that is who Ohio State is hiring as its next president, the successor to Christina M. Johnson. Obviously, the president's office has been vacant since May, since she stepped down. They've been getting by with other uh, other situations. They had a one of the university council who was serving on the, the Council of Presidents and Chancellors during the expansion talks representing Ohio State. Uh, ironically, Ted Carter, as president of Nebraska, was recently just in June moved over or kind of added to his duties that he was now overseeing athletics. Mm-hmm. And he was been serving on the COPC as well during all these talks. So uh, Ohio State is hiring this person not for athletics first and foremost, obviously, but they're hiring someone with a huge athletics background and an important one as it relates to the Big Ten. Uh, A couple of things at play here. Number one, uh, Ted Carter was around in 2020 when Ohio State and Nebraska formed this alliance, for lack of a better term, as the Big Ten was having a lot of disputes in the early days of the COVID pandemic. And when things were really kind of spiraling out of control in March and April, the spring of that year, and it was leading towards the eventual cancellation of the season, Ohio State, Nebraska, and I think Iowa was the third entity that voted against Mm -hmm. canceling the season. And so there's already you had someone coming from a place where they a shared perspective, I think, on athletics. Whether you think that's the right or wrong perspective, it, it is a shared perspective and one that probably appealed to Ohio State. Someone that they knew, someone that they uh, that they know comes from like a, again a common outlook on on how these things should be handled. And then on top of that, again, his first major job 
as it relates to athletics, and really one of his first major jobs at the university. So he's not starting until January 1st, uh, is going to be hiring Gene Smith's successor. He may already have somebody in place uh, in mind. They just went through a process where they ended up hiring Trev Alberts at Nebraska. And Trev Alberts is a Nebraska guy. That may have not have been a national search in the same way that maybe Ohio State is doing one. But it may also mean that Ted Carter already has some connections that he can reach out to in this search. I know there's already names of Ohio State people who are who are out there. But someone who was, as multiple people have said today that I'm just now seeing on Twitter since it's broke, uh, was instrumental in hiring Matt Rule to come to Nebraska to be the football coach. So again, someone who has had their hand in athletics in a meaningful way knows their way around athletics, is comfortable in that realm, is comfortable within Big Ten athletics too. Someone who doesn't have to like come from the outside and maybe learn the lay of the land and the language and all that stuff. So Ted Carter, the next president. Also uh, an interesting uh, background is the former superintendent of the Naval Academy. He is a vice admiral yeah. in the Navy. So fairly serious guy, I would imagine. Um, but also, again, you're coming from a place where I think he understands the traditions and the importance to a community of something like Ohio State football. 17th president in university history. He has a lot of awards in the Navy. A lot of awards. That's how you get to a lot be of a awards. vice admiral. Yeah. There's a lot That's, of awards. That's like the first thing that stood out to just me. Like is, a, he's not just like a, a walk-on admiral or yeah. a a like backup admiral. You're like the you're like first string admiral at this point. He's um He's he Carnell Tate, man. He's Carnell Tate. We're asking if he can play as a true freshman. And he's going to play. Except it, instead of Carnell Tate, where it's not a question, he's going to play as a true freshman. He might put up some numbers. The athletic side, that's what matters most here. Because Gene Smith is retiring in June of next year, which means Ohio State's first step was find the president. The next step is find an athletic director. So – that puts us one step closer, I would assume, to them fi- actually finding an athletic director, whether it's somebody from Gene Smith's tree or it's just somebody from Carter's tree. Maybe it's just someone he wants to bring along here. Is that the way we're assuming this? Now, whether it, now athletic director searches tend to take a little bit longer than three weeks, but does this bring us one step closer to knowing who Ryan Day's next boss is, even if his immediate impact in terms of Ohio State football's future in terms of a next head coach won't need to be decided maybe for a couple of years. Nathan. Again, I think the fact that he could have the kind of impact that he had in in in, in the rule um, hiring, I think tells you that it's someone who is familiar with doing a national search and going after a high profile candidate and doing what it takes to bring them in. I mean, now Matt Rule needed a job. Let's not it's not like he stole this him away from the NFL at that point, but, but you know, you there were. It's not like that was the only college job open in the country, and you brought you're at a place where Nebraska has been one of the worst Power Five football programs in the nation in recent years. It's been a a an embarrassment. I don't know how much you put that on the the president, but the the way that they had kind of sunk to the bottom of uh, the bottom tier of Power Five uh, had to be fixed, and going out and and getting a person of Matt Rule's credentials was a big step towards potentially turning that around. And and it was going away from what they had done before, going out and getting Scott Frost, even though he'd had some success, was, uh, you know, a, a Nebraska son and all that stuff. Like, this was going out, uh, reaching to 
out of their comfort zone a little bit to bring in someone like this. So I think that is a good indicator of what he can do as the next, you know, making this next, making the, 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 the hire to, for Gene Smith's successor. I will say though, Gene Smith's tenure did, as we talked about when he retired and, and we'll talk about more, I'm sure like it, it did sprinkle a lot of really strong candidates throughout college football guy, mm-hmm. people, men and women who have significant experience at major programs and who some of whom I have heard from people within the university and connected to the university already have, you know, the support of, of important people. So it could end up just being one of these people that we've already mentioned, but you know, the people in this position also like to, you know, as, as Matt, as, as Gene Smith was saying, and, and Ryan Day were saying the day that that retirement announcement was made, like their relationship worked because they were always on the same page. Not that they never had disagreements, but they had kind of a shared perspective. And I assume that, that Ted Carter will be looking for the same mm-hmm. thing. Like he just did it with Matt Rule, just did it with Trev Alberts. So he, I think, knows what he wants in an athletic director and a fellow executive. And that's the kind of person he's going to try to go find to bring in and lead this athletic program. Christina M. Johnson, in her short tenure, was involved with the college football conversation in a way that was best for Ohio State in a lot of different ways. This is all happening in real time, so I'm not asking you to have this long biography on, or even have like a long answer for this. But did the credentials of Carter match up with a person who will also have that same thought process? of being involved in the conversations that, that Ohio state probably needs to have a strong voice in when it comes to college football. Cause that's all the other sports. Yes. That's important as well, but th- we're college football podcast first and that's the most important thing here. So does it seem like he has a like-minded, you know, way of approach with that type of stuff? If you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. And, and again, I think that that 2020 gives us some insight into this Um, again he wasn't the chancellor at the time technically at nebraska the chancellor is the number one person on that list but you know they had a chancellor and a president and he was he was still heavily involved he was still uh, the face of of some of nebraska's pushback on on some of those policies and 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 being you know vocal at times about wanting to you know bring football back and, and and you know make sure that that season got played and they, he was in like mind with Ohio State, and there was sort of a, a a a fracture within the Big Ten at the time that you had you know a group that was sort of going along with um, what I guess they felt was you know the best science at the time, and we thought some <laughs> was the best science at the time, and some of the discussions that we had here on this program, um, can we call this a program here we had on this podcast, and. We can. We can call it a program. <laughs> we can call it whatever we want. But I talk. Uh, we, program. Yeah. You know, we, 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 I'm not going to say that, that we didn't have some of those discussions here and, and at times weren't wondering if it wasn't the prudent decision. And, and, and Nebraska and Ohio State had, again, had this connection to what they felt was the, the best thing going forward or, or at least wanted to operate with a, a different level of urgency about it. Maybe they didn't, you know, it wasn't 
time. You didn't need to cancel the season. You could have done something else. There could have been, you know, a, a better way to have handled that. And I think that was maybe the, the overriding message that I you, you could take from that. So he has that background. He also, again, I think it's important that he very recently was serving on the COPC as these discussions were happening to bring Oregon and Washington in as the 17th and 18th teams to the Big Ten. So he isn't someone who has to come in and, and be brought up to speed on these massive mm-hmm. seismic changes that are happening in the Big Ten and in college football. He is well, well, well aware of them. And this is not, again, he isn't the athletic director. He's going to hire the person who's going to handle day-to-day things in in, in athletics. So that will not be his purview. And, and he didn't hire mm-hmm. Matt Rule. The athletic director hired Matt Rule. But his willingness to be involved with that and had, having influence in it were from all the indications we're getting were were instrumental in that. So it's it's more about him him having the perspective within the Big Ten, having the perspective of what major college football is and and should be at a place like Ohio State, but also the kind of the gravitas that he has and the potential um, perspective that he'll have on who needs to be hired as the athletic director. He's he's not going to be calling the shots. He's going to have to run a whole university here. But it's it's not mm-hmm. someone that you have to, I think, worry about coming in and and being unfamiliar with athletics or wary of athletics. This is a guy who gets football. He's not he's in charge of hiring the, the right guy who has to hire the right guys when it comes to you know the athletic side of things. So that wraps up that conversation. We're going to take one more break. And then when we come back, Ryan Day did drop some other news, not with us, which Actually, it's kind of shame on us that none of us asked that question on Monday, but we found it out in the radio interview anyway. Yeah, it's not his fault, so we can't blame him. Ryan Day revealed something that, and I don't know if it's shocking or not, but we'll talk about that when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Sign up for the text, 614-350-3315. I almost said my old number there, so that was that would have been bad. So no time for those. T- I mean, you, yeah, you have you've done, that, done that too. Yeah, okay. well, not on this, not on this, but in the olden days of when I used to write like newspaper columns at the bottom, you would always put, um, you know, call Nathan Barrett at the commercial news in Danville at two one. What was two one seven? Um, I can't remember the number now, but I used to know it by heart. Yeah. But like, and there were multiple times where I think I put in my home phone number on accident. Mm. Okay, cool. So I'm not alone there. Well, the only number you guys need to know is 614-350-3315. Sign up for the text. Two-week free trial. This is the perfect time to do that. I mean, you're deep into it now. The game week starts next week. Really, this will get you through Saturday's first game and two press conferences, two game week press conferences at this point. If you sign up for the text right now, 614-350-3315. Nathan, you texted this out to our texters, but it wasn't off a game week press conference. It wasn't even off our press conference. Ryan Day was just talking on the radio, and we did not ask him about an update on whether or not he'd be calling plays or not, but the radio guys did. So clearly they did our our jobs better than us. And we have an answer on whether or not he will continue to call plays in 2023 or not. And what is that answer? Yeah, I felt a little bad for my buddy Joey Kaufman from the dispatch because I think he's asked about the play calling at every yeah. press conference so far. And then he didn't the other day and then nobody else did. And then so then it, it get, ends up coming out on the, the radio show, the, the kickoff show, whatever they called it. Yes. Ryan Day says that at least to start this year, he's still going to be heavily involved in the play calling. And I think it's been trending this way for well almost since the beginning i know so go back to last january kirk herbstreet says oh we had this you know in the meeting you know 
he said off the rare on background or whatever that uh not for not for to be talked about before that game uh, before the peach bowl but that he was thinking about giving up play calling turning it over to somebody else he'd be more of a ceo and really from the first time we talked today he was very non-committal he never said he was definitely doing it when they hired Brian Hartline, mm-hmm. promoted Brian Hartline to offensive coordinator, he never said Brian Hartline's going to call plays. When they got through the spring, he never said, yeah, that went well. Brian Hartline's going to call plays. When we got to the summer, it was still a lot of talk about, well, I don't know. Like, this is still just a big part of my, it's in my blood, and I feel like I'm good at it, and I, I add value by doing it, and I don't think I can give it up. And I was not surprised at all when he finally said, I'm still going to call plays. Now, he says Brian Hartline will call some plays. I don't know if that means, you know, at some point Ryan Day takes off the headset and when it's, you know, 49 to nothing at somebody and lets Heartline cook for a while, or if they'll do it throughout games as needed. He said also something about like eventually maybe getting to there and they want to do it the right way. So I guess just bringing Heartline along at the right speed. The things you got to remember here is all those things I just said about Ryan Day and how much he wants to be a play caller and how it's part of his identity. Like that, that's always been there. But then also, like Brian Hartline's never been a coordinator before. And Day said some things that were complimentary of 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 Hartline installing the offense, but uh, for the first time and, and and how that's been an important thing. But Hartline's just never called plays. And he's never called plays in a Big Ten game or at Notre Dame. Um, he's never even called plays against a Youngstown State. So I understand that the schedule, I guess, affords him a couple opportunities to do that. But I, 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 it doesn't shock me that Day doesn't isn't turning that all the way over to him. And the third important thing is you've got a new quarterback. And Ryan Day, even if Ryan Day trusts Brian Hartline to call plays, there's nobody in the world that he trusts to shepherd a quarterback along more than him. Like, nobody. So if this, as and he already said earlier this camp, that he sees, he felt like he still needed to be involved in this partially because that connection has to be there with the quarterbacks. So that was even more indication that this is where it was going to end up, that Brian Hartline was not going to be the primary play caller, certainly to start this year. And if I had to bet, I would say it probably doesn't happen at all this year. doesn't mean it won't ever happen, but I think it's going to be more of a process than day just turning the whole thing over to him. I think Brian Hartline's eventually going to be calling plays for Ohio State with Ryan as the head coach. I just don't think it's going to happen this year. You, you mapped out most of the reasons. I think last year's personnel would have been a better time to do that when you've got an experienced starting quarterback who has the mind that CJ does that can you know help ease any of those growing pains that come with being a first-time play caller while also – Brian Hartline's best weapon is also a pretty smart wide receiver in Jackson Smith the Jigba. So going into the year, that probably would have made more sense. New starting quarterback, you probably don't be wanting to throw you probably don't want to throw a new play caller at him. Especially if you don't have to. And you don't have to in this situation with Ryan Day. Andrew, you're coming from the NFL where you covered the Bengals, who they're pretty decent, I guess. Does Zach Taylor call plays for the Bengals? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Zach does call plays for the Bengals. So he he has done that since he's gotten there and and they've had their offensive coordinator Brian Callahan, um, you know, he's he's a pretty good offensive coordinator and and he still doesn't call plays. He's just kind of part of the offensive game planning basically. Does it ever feel like him 
having to focus so much on calling plays on game day took away from anything else he had to do from responsibilities from a head coach standpoint? No, um, I do think the responsibilities of head coach and uh, in the NFL and, and college are obviously, you know, I, I mean, that's that's pretty significant in terms of kind of just what you have to have yeah. your hand in. Like, you know, you, you hear this word a lot when it comes to head coaches in college, just like administrative. And I know that kind of, you know, deals with off the field stuff. Um, you know, but, but I mm-hmm. do think it kind of does, you know, kind of delve into on the field stuff too, because, you know, it's such a development program. It's such a development sport that, you know, in the NFL, you know, it's okay. If, if you have that, I think it, it's, it's, it's easier to handle in the NFL than it is in, um, in college. Um, so yeah, I never thought it, it took away anything. Um, you know, I think there were certain times where you think, yeah, maybe he could pass it over here and it might free him up a little bit. Um, you know, but they're also kind of what they, they had a, if, for any Bengals fans listening, uh, they had a sequence in Baltimore on Sunday night football that was just atrocious. They ran like a reverse pass or maybe it was this Philly special or whatever it was at like the two yard line. And they ran all this stuff. And immediately the, the criticism comes down on Zach Taylor. It doesn't come down on anybody else. So I think that there, there is that like little neat and tidy. You have somebody to blame if the play calling goes wrong. So I do think that there, I'm not saying that there is that aspect of mindset of coach where it's like, Hey, look, if something goes wrong, I want it to be me that makes that mistake. I'll handle it. I'll jump on that grenade. I don't know if that's the case here, but like, I, I do think that there is kind of that neat and tidy, like, all right, well, the head coach is responsible for everything. So if something goes right, congratulations. But if something goes wrong, you know who to blame. We had a, we had conversations about what would be the benefits of Ryan Day giving up the play calling Nathan, right? And we talked about how you know, maybe if he's not in control of what's going on in the offensive meetings, and he's more of a bystander. Maybe it gives him more time to like maybe walk around. You mentioned it, the CEO aspect of it. Maybe that's, 30 extra minutes a day that, you know, a random player who just needs to talk to head coach can just come into his office and do that. Or maybe he's walking around a little bit more instead of being so focused on just quarterbacks or just the offensive side of the ball. And a lot of the conversation spurred from when the idea of him maybe giving up play calling came up because of the loss, the second loss to Michigan. So what do we do with that whole conversation now that, we had it. It was interesting. And now it's not true anymore. And we're going to get to the Michigan game. And more than likely, it's going to be the same scenario where Ryan Day's calling plays on Saturday. So what are we supposed to do with it? That, was it almost just like a exp- off-season experiment and let's put a pin in it for another year and come back to it a year from now and see if Ryan Day is ready to give it up? Or should we be asking him, have you learned how to manage your time better? And that's why you felt like you still would be able to hold on the play calling along with everything else that's, as you've already listed out, part of the reasons why he's probably keeping this. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's possible that he turned over more of the, the insulation stuff to Heartline. He kind mm-hmm. of maybe insinuated that. And this will be something to maybe follow up with him on, on next week to get some more specifics about. But no, I think it's going to continue to be a thing because it's just so rare. Like this, this isn't that common at the college level. And he can try to budget his time better all he wants but the the time demands keep ch- popping up like the nil stuff the transfer portal stuff it, it it's just a constant churn and and even though ohio state has done a good job of putting you know mark pantoni 
and you know there there are various people involved with NIL and, and other areas ahead of those things. It's still ultimately a lot of those things that the, the head coach is so directly involved with what direction you want to go and how you want to handle things. And sometimes he has to go advocate to for Ohio State to be more involved than they are when it comes to NIL and things like that. And and those things take up a lot of time. You're only one guy. So I still pretty strongly believe that it's in his best interest in the long term to find someone else that he trusts to call plays and lead that offense and be more of just a, a CEO. I, I think he's a talented offensive mind. I don't know that he's a such a singular offensive mind, though, that someone else couldn't get pretty similar results by calling plays. And I, because there's other offenses around the country that are very high powered and, and successful. So I think when I read back through everything last night and was trying to encapsulate this, the, the part about the first year quarterbacks is the thing that really stuck out to me. I think that I feel like he doesn't want to lose that connection that day-to-day connection that you have where you are building a game plan and coming to a, a, a shared mindset as to why you're putting those plays in, why you're calling those plays during a game, the, the why of those things, and like being on the same page for that. I think that that is something that not only does he feel like he's been successful at it, which that is demonstrable, uh, but I also think he just enjoys it. I think that's one of the things he probably loves about being a coach. And that is a hard thing to give up, even if you're doing it for the greater good. So I I think I understand why he's doing it. I think, again, I, and I, you can go back and listen to the pods. This isn't me in, in, in hindsight saying this. Like Of the three of us at the time, I think I was the most skeptical that he would actually turn over play calling to Brian Hartline this year. And I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. I'm just saying that I have always kind of wondered if that would be an immediate transition. And... I think that when we get to that Michigan game, if the same things are still going wrong, or maybe if it comes up before that, then this will be a thing he kind of has to answer for. Like, you know, if if you know that these things are a problem and your oversight could maybe help, then why wasn't there a different plan to 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 turn over the offensive coordinator duties in full to an offensive coordinator? And if Brian Hartline wasn't the guy who was ready to do that, then did you have to promote him? Like, what, what, why, you know, it, that's going to be part of the questions that need to be asked. But uh, I've, I don't like to get too far down that line because we're talking about things that, that haven't happened yet. But it, it's just de- definitely something that it's going to continue to be a theme. Like, he has not heard the last question. He hasn't heard the last one this season about how much he's calling plays and whether that's going to change as the season goes along. I'm wondering how well Brian Hartline did because we weren't at any of the scrimmages. And in the spring, the defensive line was just tearing the offensive line to shreds. So you could never really get a good, you know, you know, a good you know, real evaluation of how things were going. Cause it might've been a great play call, but if your offensive line can't hold up, it doesn't matter. So I'm, I wonder how well he was doing to where as much as it is about that connection, Ryan day wants to keep with that quarterback and, play calling and keep holding on to that type of stuff. I wonder how much of it was maybe Brian Hartline's not ready yet. And maybe he came into the offseason thinking, hmm, there might be something there, but it's like, not yet. While also, this quarterback battle has clearly gone on longer than maybe he expected it to go. 
And I wonder if that combination of maybe Hartline's not quite ready to do that yet because you're, I mean, he's never been a coordinator. He's never held a title, let alone did some of the responsibilities that come with that title on top of we're less than 14 days before Ohio State has to play a football game and it doesn't know who it's starting quarterback and they might play two guys in one game. That's a lot to throw out a new play caller when the guy who's been calling plays pretty well for the most part is still here. So to your point, how does Ryan Day call plays in the Michigan game? Because I think he's fine the first 11 weeks. It's not always perfect, but it's fine. The Michigan game was so different and even he admitted it that he wasn't as loose, you know. It, it wasn't. It wasn't what the Georgia game was from a play calling standpoint. I, I think we can both agree there. It wasn't that. So if we get Georgia play calling Ryan Day, whether the execution is there or not, that's a different conversation. But whether the the mindset of Ryan Day that showed up against Georgia and that showed up against Clemson in twenty 2020 twenty and 2019, really, until J.K. Dobbins got hurt. If that's the guy who's going to show up and against Michigan, then I don't think this is an issue going forward. I think it's fine that he decided to hold on the play calling. But if the guy who showed up against Michigan the last two years, where it kind of got stale and stagnant at times, then I think you're right. That's something Ryan Day is going to have to answer. Well, for. but I also think that, that it's two different questions. Like, it, it, did did the was the play calling against Michigan a byproduct of having too much on his plate? Or was it a byproduct of it being Michigan? And, the, and did mm. the Georgia game um, unlock something for him mentally, maybe? And that that's going to affect like how he... Because I, I want... That's another thing to think about, is like, if he feels like something kind of got unlocked there against Georgia, does he want to see what that looks like over the course of a year? Like this, yeah. this different approach that he has. If Because he clearly tightened up against Michigan, and he said as much. I know he's, he was talking a lot about we need to play more aggressive or whatever after the Michigan, but going into the Georgia game, but he was talking about himself too. And we saw the results of it. Uh, I thought in that game, the way it played out. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know that that is necessarily that game necessarily hinges on this whole CEO concept, but I, to me, it's more if the Michigan game happens and, and similar things keep happening, like the defensive lapses and the running game isn't getting going. It's almost all the things that are not, just sheer play calling if those things are still a problem and the head coach isn't being it doesn't have enough time to pay attention to helping correct all of those things because he's so worried on the off about just the offensive game plan i think that's where he has things to answer for about whether this was the prudent decision so that's another decision that has been made no quarterback yet but we know offensive line we know who that sunny styles is starting and we know that ryan day will continue to start keep keep play calling We'll be talking to receivers on Tuesday evening. That is our last interview session of the week, actually. The next time that we'll talk to anybody from the Ohio State program will be next Tuesday when Ryan Day has his first uh, game week uh, press conference. So that wraps this up for Nathan Baird. For Andrew Gillis, I'm Stephen Means. Was Buckeye Talk.